Right, gentlemen, if you would, if you have your Bible, let's continue in the, uh, the book of Jonah. Uh, we're going to make our way. We, we've already seen that Jonah panics and he puts out to sea. We're going to see tonight that Jonah prays and then, thank God, Jonah preaches. And we're going we're gonna to find that out tonight. Um, one thing about prayer, and I, I talk to the sons, but also the dads, do you know that you can talk to God? Martin Luther said, you know, when someone said, why pray? He said, because God commanded us to pray to him and he promised he would listen. The God of the earth, the land, the sea, the God of creation has promised that he would listen when we call out to him. And one amazing thing about prayer is that you don't have to be in a specific place to pray. You don't even have to be in a specific posture to pray. When I was a kid and I was sent to Christian school, I was told that to pray, you know, you fold your hands close your eyes and you bow your heads, you know? And it was an amazing epiphany, amazing thing for me when I realized that I can pray to God with my eyes open. I can pray to God while I drive, while I walk, and, and that God is always present and God hears us. And you can pray wherever you're at, but Jonah probably did something that no one else has ever done. Maybe in the history of the world, he prayed from a very unique location. <laughs> he prayed from the belly of the fish. And that's what Jonah 2 is all about um, just kind of picking up. Remember from Jonah 1, the last verse in verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah had a lot of time to pray. What else is he gonna do? He's in the belly of the fish. Chapter two, for those of you that, that I love just the structure of this book, it moves from narrative form where it's telling the account and the story of Jonah. Chapter two moves to poetry. Uh, it moves and, it, and it, it recounts the actual prayer that Jonah prayed to God. And this prayer in the belly of the fish is not a prayer from Jonah, God save me. It's actually a prayer of thankfulness because God has saved him. He is thanking God because even he sees that and he knows that this, this fish is a provision of God and that, that, that God is saving him and bringing him back to dry land. You might expect Jonah to complain to God by being in this fish, but rather he, he shouts uh, joy, proclamations of joy, because God has delivered him in spite of his running, in spite of his disobedience. So Jonah 2, 1 and 2, we read that from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Verse 2, this is what he said. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Um, in chapter one, it's interesting because remember, God called Jonah, and Jonah had a deaf ear. <laughs> Jonah turned a deaf ear to God. He didn't listen. Now in Jonah chapter two, Jonah calls out to God, and, and God heard his voice. And God listened to Jonah's cry. Verse three and four, we're kind of now moving. Jonah goes into this flashback. If you're watching a movie, Jonah goes back and he's recounting what had happened to him. He said in verse three, you hurled me into the depths. Who, who hurled Jonah into the depths? He has a sailor's, maybe God, maybe his own. Either way, he's looking and said, God, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and your breakers, they swept over me. Verse four, and I said, I have been banished from your sight 
yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The holy temple, that was way back in Jerusalem. The temple is, is, was considered the hot spot of God's presence. So when you would pray, you would turn toward God's holy temple. Um, he says, I will look again. And, and even that look is, is, is faith. It is to turn to God. Today, when we turn to God and we look to the hot spot of God's presence, we don't look to a temple. We look to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the hot spot of God's presence, right? He is God. And when we want to know what, what God thinks about us, well, all we have to do is look toward Jesus and how Jesus has carried himself and what he has done on our behalf. And no matter how far, sons, kids, dads, no matter how far you run from God, you can turn to him and he will hear your cry. Verse five and seven, Jonah continues in his flashback. The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. These are all language of like grave clothes. This is what you do when, when you're, you're doing a funeral. They, they're, they're enclosed, they're wrapped. They're, there's grave clothes wrapped around him. He's basically saying, I was a goner in the bottom of the ocean. Verse six, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. To the earth, the earth beneath me barred me in forever. It's like Jonah made it to the bottom of the sea. But you, Lord, my God, you brought my life up from the pit. And when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. God is the one who lifted him and brought him up. Verse eight, Jonah says this statement, those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love for them. Not really sure who Jonah is referring to here. Maybe he's thinking about the sailors on that ship who, who worshiped idols and that they were turning away from God's love for them. He doesn't know maybe what, what they did on deck after he jumped, you know, was thrown into the water. Or maybe Jonah is referring to his own life where Jonah, the idol that Jonah clung to was his own path. Jonah wanted to go his own way. Jonah had a competing kind of vision for his life. There were competing visions. There was what Jonah wanted for his life and there was what God wanted for his life. And Jonah clung to the idol of his own plans, his own ways. And in doing so, he was turning his back on God's grace. He was turning his back on God's purpose for his life. As if Jonah's saying, I forfeited the only thing I had going for me, the steadfast love of God. Verse nine, he concludes, but, but I, with shouts of praise, I will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, what I have committed, I will make good. And I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah speaks truth here and, and we see a bit of a turn in Jonah that he is gonna do what God has called him to do. He's gonna make his way back to Nineveh. Now, let me just say something. Um, we're gonna continue to read that, that Jonah still has issues of protest with God. He doesn't, he, he still has issues with God. He still has issues with what God is gonna do in Nineveh. But we can still call out to God even when we have issues of protest. Even when our issues of confusion or questions aren't resolved, we can still call out to God and God hears our prayer. God lifted him up from the pit. And so verse 10 of chapter two, it ends this way. 
sons, kids, you might really like this, especially. And the Lord commanded the fish, and what did the fish do? It hurled him, <laughs> yeah. It, it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Can you picture that? The fish vomits Jonah. And it's interesting because it, it could have said that the fish spit him out or that the fish, you know, released him or coughed him up. But specifically, the fish vomits Jonah out. The author doesn't say anything, it doesn't say why, but in the Old Testament, vomiting or being vomited out is always a negative thing. When, when, when people are, are uh, there, there's talk, there's language in the scriptures that when you're disobedient and, and you're sinful, that you'll be vomited out of the land. It's not a good thing. Some scholars suggest that maybe the fish is sickened by Jonah's hypocrisy. <laughs> that Jonah's saying, I'm going to worship you and I'm going to make my, my, you know, but I'm going to fulfill my vow kind of thing. But knowing that you, you still are disobedient, your heart is still hard toward God. For whatever reason though, notice how when Jonah, everything's been a descent down, right? He, he went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He, he was thrown into the, the sea and he went down, down, down. Here's the first time that he's actually brought up and it's vomit. <laughs> he's vomited up. All right, he's going in the right direction. So now chapter three, Jonah finally preaches. Jonah finally obeys. Verse one and two, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. We have a sense of literary deja vu. Do you guys know what deja vu is? You're like, haven't I heard this before? Haven't I been here before? Haven't we heard these words before? Where did we hear these words? Go to Nineveh and preach against it. Yeah, Jonah chapter one. Jonah is the only biblical prophet whose assignment was given to him twice. That he, but God is patient with him. Verse three, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Praise God. Can we just give Jonah a little clap right now? Finally. Dude, finally, he, he makes it. He goes to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a large city. It took three days to go through it. Verse four, Jonah began by going a days into the city, proclaiming, here's his message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his message. Eight words in English, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's kind of a tough message to come to bring to your worst enemies, right? To a, a very violent group of people. Could you imagine walking into a, a, a group of people and saying, hey, 40 more days and you're going down, right? That's his message. One of the shortest sermons ever recorded, we count it eight words in English. It's only five words in Hebrew. There's some speculation of, was Jonah preaching the full message? Did he sabotage, you know, this message? There's no mention of what they could do to be saved. There's no mention of what they've done wrong. It's just 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown, overturned. And this word, I'm going to give you two Hebrew words in this uh, passage I think are important. But let me just be honest with you guys. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I just read men and women who are Hebrew scholars. So I, I'm, I'm bringing this here. And this, this word, overthrown, Nineveh is going to be overthrown, is the word hapak. Can you guys say that with me? Say hapak. Hapak. 
We read it throughout scriptures. And it has a couple different meanings based in its context. To be overthrown or hapak can mean to 